All right, go ahead and grab your Bible or your scripture journals from Genesis. <clears throat> and let's go ahead and open up to chapter 15 as we continue our trek through the book of Genesis. This morning, we are just going to look at the first six verses of Genesis 15, and the next week we will finish up the chapter together. But for this morning, we're just going to do Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. When you're there, shout there. there. All right, good. All right, Adrian, come on up here. She's going to read for us. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Oh, sorry, sorry, hold on. I'm a moron. You're, you're, you want to go back to your seat and I can call you back up again? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If that makes you feel better, you think I would know to turn it on for you. Sorry about that, sweetheart. There you go. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, who, I don't know. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, thank you. Well, if you're older than three, you know that life is full of ups and downs, right? One day is filled with highs, the next day is filled with lows. Sometimes you see them coming, sometimes you don't see them coming. Sometimes they're more expected than others, but you know right now if you're kind of in a high there's probably some kind of low on the way. And if you're in a low, you can probably expect there's a high coming at some point. And often in this journey, if you're anything like me, these unexpected highs and lows can produce fear and anxiety in my life. Sometimes because I see something coming, and so I'm pre-anxious before it gets there. Other times it's, I don't know what's coming. And so I'm anxious just about the unknown. Well, here in chapter 15, and even in chapter 14, Abram is walking through that very same thing. He is experiencing the highs and lows, maybe a little more radical or drastic since none of us have been at war lately, but still ups and downs of things happening in his life that he has not expected. And so what we're going to see in these first six verses is that God is fully aware of Abram's fears, that God is in the middle of Abram's fears, and in fact, that God is orchestrating everything in Abram's life so that he will feel fear so that God can reveal himself to him in a unique way. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to put a slide up that's going to summarize this. I can email it out if you don't want to write it down this morning. But really, this whole little story here can be summed up this way. That is, God is going to do everything God needs to do so that Abram will know God the way God wants Abram to know God. That makes sense? That's really what's happening. It's incredible. And, and this is true not just of Abram, friends. This is true of you. God does everything he needs to do in your life 
so that he can reveal himself to you the way that he wants to reveal himself to you so that you will know him and in the end, give him the amen. And we're going to talk about what that amen means in a little bit when we get there. But this is how God rolls. And this is why each of us have different stories to tell about how God meets us in our lives. Because each one of us experienced God differently because he wants us to. So it will then form a body, a community, fully seeing how God works by observing each other's lives and seeing how God works in them. So we're going to look at Abram's life this morning, specifically when it comes to the area of fear and what he's fearful of and how God is going to not just meet Abram, but orchestrate Abram's life so that God can reveal himself to Abram the exact way that God wants Abram to know him. So let's, let's see how the story unfolds here. Well, it begins with God speaking to Abram. And, and when I read this, it comes in a vision. It just seems to kind of come out of the blue. Like, I don't know what's really going on here. All of a sudden, God, which he probably did before, right, with Abram, he just shows up on the scene. I don't think Abram's expecting God to talk to him. I don't think he's seeking God at this point. It seems like God just descends and starts to talk to Abram. So let's see what he says in verse 1. He says this, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So my first question when I read this is, what is Abram? afraid of, right? What's he afraid of? We have no backdrop here. What's going on? What has Abram fearful that God would say to him, do not be afraid and do not fear? Now, I think this is more than that generic, you guys know every time the angel shows up, right? What do they say? Fear not. This is different than that. This is God showing up, and I think this fear not is connected to what happened in chapter 14. Do you know why I think that? What are the first three words of verse 1? After these things. So I think there's a connection here. There's things that happen in chapter 14 that are now causing Abram fear. We saw no fear in chapter 14. Life was great. Abram's the warrior, wins it all, does the right things for God. And all of a sudden, chapter 15, he's fearful and we don't know why. So let's see if we can look at chapter 14 and try to figure out what he might be fearful of that God would say, I'm going to be your shield and your reward will be very great. Does that make sense? So, Let's think about it. Chapter 14, last time. We had five kings going to battle against four kings. The four kings beat the five kings, and then they grab a hold of Lot, who's Abram's nephew, and they take him off as a prisoner of war. Abram grabs his 318 mighty warriors. He launches a stealth attack at night, sneaks in, slaughters those four kings, extracts Lot and all of his family and all of his goods, and he takes off. He ends up bumping into a guy named Melchizedek. He recognizes Melchizedek outranks me in in authority and power and purpose and worth. And so he tithes. He gives Melchizedek 10%. And then he, he pretty much right on the tail of that, he bumps into the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom says, hey, you can have the goods that are yours. And Abram says, no, 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 I don't want those goods. Because if I take them, you're going to think, and others will think, you made me rich. And I don't want anybody to think you made me rich. I don't want anybody to know that God made me rich, right? And that's kind of the end of the story. It ends there with Abram. So what is it that could have Abram fearful that he would need God to be his shield and his reward? I think it's there in the text. If I just won a battle against four kings with 318 guys, and then I pretty much insulted the king of Sodom, What are you afraid of? 
He's going to get everybody together, get allies, and what are they going to do? Yeah, they're going to come kick my butt. That's what's going to happen next. They're going to come after me, and they're going to come after me on my turf. They're going to outnumber me, and now they have the advantage because they're going to have the surprise and not me. So I think he's probably afraid of retaliation. And so what does God say to him? I'm going to be your, your shield. I'm going to be your protector, your defense, Abram. Do not fear. Fear not. I am your shield. God wants Abram to know that, Abram to know that he is his protector and his defender, not the 318 guys that he has on his team, on his side. And we saw this in chapter 14, verse 20. Look at what Melchizedek says to Abram in chapter 14, verse 20. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand? So, so it's there in the text that he needs to depend on God to deliver him and to defend him. Don't count, Abram, on your resources. Don't count on previous battles. God is going to be your shield. You see, God is going to do everything he needs to do in Abram's life so that, God will, so that Abram will know God as his shield and then give God the amen. He wants him to experience God as his protector, so he puts him in a situation where he needs protection. Does that make sense? Now listen, God didn't have to do it this way. He could have kept Lot from being taken prisoner of war, right? He could have. He could have said, you know what? Lot's going to not be prisoner of war. And then Abram would never have to have gone to battle, and then right now Abram wouldn't need somebody to shield him. But that's not how God rolls, is it? God deliberately sets it up because God wants Abram to know God as his shield and defender. And so he sets the situation up where he needs God, where he fears if he doesn't have God be his defender and his shield. So after that, we're going to see in a minute, God does this so that he will get the amen. But there's a second part of this, a second fear. I think it's in Abram's heart. Abram has given away now all of the loot that he could have gotten from the king of Sodom, plus he's tithed 10% of all of his stuff to Melchizedek. And so what do you think is happening when God says, I will be your reward? What do you think he's fearful of? Yeah. Yeah, it, losing, not having enough to provide for his family, starving to death. I don't know. But obviously, he might be regretting at this point, maybe I shouldn't have given all that stuff away. I mean, have you ever done Have you ever been really generous? And then like a day later, you're like, oh, crap. Maybe I was a little overworked. Maybe I was a little too crazy when I did that. And then you start to get a little anxious, like maybe I'm going to run out of goods now. Maybe I won't have as much because I gave too much away. Man, that wasn't the smartest decision. I think Abram's experienced. I think he's going, man, I wonder if I gave up too much. I gave too much away. And so what does God say? Fear not. Your reward will be very great. I've got your back, Abram. What you did was the right thing. I've got you covered, and I will provide for you. I think that's why Abram is perhaps fearful. And again, I think God is doing everything he needs to do in Abram's life. He sets the whole thing up so that Abram will know God as his provider. He'll know Abram. God will know, Abram will know God as the one who will provide for him and reward him. I mean, think about what God could have done differently. He could have given Melchizedek the flu or COVID. And then Melchizedek wouldn't have been there and Abram wouldn't have given the 10%, right? He could have taken the chariot 
that the king of Sodom is riding in and giving him a flat tire before he got there. And then Abram would have kept the goods. And we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But that's not how God rolls, is it? <laughs> because God's going to do what God needs to do in order for Abram to experience God the way God wants Abram to experience God. And in this case, God wants Abram to experience God as his rewarder, as his provider. So God just sets the whole thing up so he can reveal himself to him the way that God thinks he should reveal himself to him. So let me ask you this morning, what are you fearful of? What are you scared of? What circumstances in your life cause you anxiety, stress, fear? I think whatever you are fearful of is probably exactly what God wants you to know about him, like he did for Abram. Why do you think God has arranged the specific circumstances in your life? so that you would experience legitimate fear at times. It's probably because God wants you to know God the way God wants you to know God, so that you will give him the amen. I think it's possible that God is arranging all of the details in our lives so that we will have legitimate fears, so that he can be for us exactly what we need when we need it. So whatever life experience you are facing right now, circumstances you're walking through, challenges that are having fear and anxiety raise up in your soul, I want to encourage you this morning to look at it as an opportunity to experience God in a way you wouldn't if you weren't in that situation. Make sense? I think that's what God's doing. And only you know what that looks like. And so, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I think it would be good if you put your name in the blank instead of Abram, and you ask yourself this morning, fear not, put your name in there. I am your... What do you need God to be for you today? What do you need him to do for you? What role do you want him to play in your life? And I believe just like God looked Abram in the eye in a vision and said, fear not, Abram, fear not. That this morning, he wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to look you in the eye and say, fear not, I am your. And you need to fill in the blank for yourself. Because God is going to do everything he needs to do in your life so that you will know God the way God wants you to know God so that you will give him the amen. So that's this little encounter that Abram has with God. And then Abram responds in verse 2. And Abram's response is peculiar at best and bizarre in some ways. Look how Abram responds to this. Think about what God just said to him and look at verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now, to me, there's 
something's disconnected. God just said, fear not, I'm going to be your shield and your reward. And then Abram's response is to remind God of an unfulfilled promise he had made back in chapter 12. Right? It's almost like Abram is saying, all right, God, I want to believe that you will be my reward and my shield, but your track record right now is lacking. <laughs> right? How about doing what you said you were going to do in chapter 12? Not that he was living in a chapter. Make sure you're on the same page, but... If you didn't do that yet, why would I trust you for this, God? I still don't have a kid, and you said I was gonna, and now things are getting up there. I'm, I'm almost 100, and my wife is still barren. And, and now you're heaping up these other promises, but I've not seen you fulfill the first ones. Where's the land? He doesn't even mention that yet. Where's the land you promised me, God? See, so far, if I'm Abram going, God, you have zero credit right now. You've talked to me. All right, you let me win the battle. I believe that. I believe Melchizedek said that and that you're the provider. But now you're telling me not to fear and I don't know what to go on. So how about going back to this previous promise with this whole thing with me having an heir? So he challenges God, I think. And I think if I were him, I probably would do the same thing. It's kind of humbly, I think, maybe calling God out. And so what does God do? God responds. God responds in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This is God's response. Shut up and sit down. (laughs) This man shall not be your heir, referring to Eliezer. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look upward toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I love it that God reminds him of the promise and then he takes him on a field trip. I love it that he gives him a visual. I love it that God knows how, is tactile the right word? How, how we need things to touch and feel and see and smell to, to kind of connect with it because he made us that way. And so he, he takes them outside. I don't know if you've ever been outside when it's been really, really dark. Denny and I have been bear hunting in Maine. We are in the woods and there's no one for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And when it gets dark, it is freaky dark. And the stars are amazing. And those were trees in the way. So I'm imagining Abram's out probably in maybe a more desert-type area. And man, he's standing there, and from horizon to horizon, he just sees stars scattered as far as he can see in every direction. And God goes, go ahead, start counting. Just to kind of secure his promise with Abram. Abram, look, I'm going to do it. As many stars as you see, I'm going to give you that many heirs. I'm going to give you that many kids, and they're all going to come from one son. I am going to give you a son. So Abram takes that all in, right? He he sees the stars. Maybe he did start to count a little bit. I don't know. But then we read Abram's response. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now what's unique here is the conversation switches and now we are hearing the voice of the narrator. Moses, probably. God speaking through Moses, telling Moses what to write, because Moses wouldn't know this at all. But all of a sudden we get an insight into two things. We get immediate insight into Abram's heart. 
And we get an immediate insight into how God functions in relating to people who need righteousness. So, so this one sentence really just erupts in the silence, I think, even of the stars as Abram is standing there in the desert. It's a, it's a crazy moment. It's really an insane moment because Abram's response is literally an amen. The Hebrew word for believing there is the word for amen. So it's literally Abram is standing there. God says, I'm going to give you these heirs. And it says, and Abram, amen the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. I love that. He amened him. You know what it's like to do that, right? Somebody says something and you're thinking, yes, I agree. And you know what it's like to say that out loud? You've done that. Amen. That's what Abram did. So, so he's standing out there, and I wonder if he's even recounting some of the things that God said to him. You know, God said, I will be your shield. I wonder if Abram, when he believes, he's saying, amen, God's going to be my shield. I will be your great reward. Amen, God's going to do that. Your offspring will be as many as the stars. Amen, says Abram in response. See, God does the things that he wants to do and needs to do in our lives. So we'll experience God the way God wants us to experience God. So we'll give him the amen. So we'll praise him for what he does in our lives. I think this is perhaps the most significant moment in Abram's life. I say that too because it's referenced so many times in the New Testament. So I have a little bit of sneak preview here. But this is significant. And it's certainly one of the most significant because he has this amen of belief before he sees God do anything. That's what's crazy. God hasn't done diddly yet as far as meeting this promise. And yet Abram is ready to shout, Amen! I believe you, God. Amen! I see what you're going to do, God. Now we should, I hope you do, Amen, God, for the things that he did for you last week. Amen, God. Thank you for doing that. Sometimes we share with each other stuff that God has done in our lives. and we, Amen! Yeah! Go, God! But I wonder if there's also a place for us amening God for the promises he hasn't fulfilled yet. You know, we can celebrate and thank God that he cared for us this past year. He never left us or forsook us in 2021. Amen! But are we ready to say, and he won't do it in 2022? Amen! He provided for me in 2021. Amen! And he's gonna provide for me whatever I need in 2022. Amen. And that's what Abram did. He, he, he's throwing an amen out to God, a, a confidence, a belief in God for the future that in his mind looks impossible. 100 years old, barren wife, have a son, come on. But he doesn't say come on, does he? Instead, he gives the amen to God for what is coming in the future. This is really, honestly, this is staggering when you consider God's response. We are told that Abram's amen was counted to him as righteousness. It was imputed to him as righteous. It was credited to him as righteousness. This is meant to be, I think, completely amazing and it is unheard of. 
an amen gets you counted as righteous. I mean, you guys know we were talking about Genesis and how God reveals himself. He's slowly showing more of himself throughout the book, throughout redemptive history. You come to this point, and this is mind-blowing. This is meant to cause the reader to go, what? Whoa, 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 time out. He amens God, and it's counted to him as righteousness? How is that going to happen? Why does that happen? What is God doing? How is it that in God's economy, believing God gets you righteousness? See, this is a huge transition, and this moment in chapter 15 is just blown completely wide open because Abram doesn't care about being righteous. Does it say anything? Abram's not going, oh God, help me be righteous. He's not looking for righteousness. In fact, I read this sentence and I wanted to say this. I wanted to say, and Abram, amen the Lord, and he was given a son. Right? That would make sense. Abram, amen the Lord, and so the Lord was his shield and his provider. Abram, amen the Lord, and so he inherited the land. But God goes a hundred million miles beyond that and he drops a righteousness bomb in his life when Abram never even asked about being righteous or wanting to be righteous or feeling his need to be righteous. So this scene must come out of nowhere. But it shows us that in the midst of Abram's life, God has something to show him that is more important than him having an heir. That's more important than God being his shield. That's more important than God being his reward. God is more concerned that Abram understands and has righteousness. God knows that this is Abram's more significant, necessary need. And so once again, God is going to do for Abraham, Abram, what God's going to do so that Abram will know God the way God wants Abram to know God. In this case, he wants to know God as the one who imputes righteousness to those who are not righteous. That this God will count someone righteous for their amen, even though they're still very far from being righteous. See, the very thing that I need, righteousness, I don't have. And the very thing God hates, sin, oh, I got plenty of that. And yet God comes along here in this one moment, Abram believes, and God says, and I'm going to count that to you as righteousness, as the one who is righteous. Now, in our world today, most people don't wake up in the morning burdened with the question, how can I be made right with God? How can I be righteous before God who is holy when I'm sinful? We're often very concerned about looking righteous and being righteous in each other's eyes, right? I want to, I want to look righteous to you because I want you to be impressed with me that I'm successful and I, I'm wise and I'm all-knowing and right, my list of ways that I want you to think that I'm righteous. But what about God? What about God? What, what concern do you wake up every morning with when it comes to, am I righteous before God today? Because that really should be the primary thing that's on our minds if he's holy and just. It's the kind of thing that should be 
tormenting those who don't know what it means to be righteous. So this one little sense is teased out in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians. But for this morning, I'm just going to take us to the book of Romans. So if you don't mind opening your Bible or turning your page to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. I have looked forward to nothing more in the past two weeks than going through Romans 4 with you. This is just fun. This is the best stuff in the universe. So let's look at Romans 4. Romans 4 is Paul slash God's commentary and explanation of and Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. You can't preach Genesis 15, 6 and not go to Romans 4. You can't do it. So here we go. This is his take on it. Let me give you a little roadmap. This helps me to get my hand or head around Romans 4. So Romans 4, 1 through 8 is all about how you cannot be righteous through works. Okay? Then if you, and you're, and we're gonna, I'll point that out when we get there. Then in verse 9 through 12, it's you can't be right through circumcision. You can't be righteous being circumcised. And then in verses 13 through 17, it's all about you cannot be righteous through the law. That, that's all this is. So I'm just going to, I'm literally going to read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little, and hopefully kind of just get our hands around this thing. So here's, here's, God telling Paul what to write about Abraham. And this is right out of the story. I mean, you're going to see it in a second. This is, this is like, they should, they should almost be Genesis 15 at the end of verse 6. This should be slipped in your Bible right underneath this. Here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And here's our Genesis 15. Abram believed God. Abram amened God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you're a Bible circler, you're going to want to circle the word counted because it's here over and over and over again. Okay, so notice that verse 2. If Abram was justified by works, and we know he was not justified by works. And so then verse 3, we've got our... our Verse from Genesis, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4, now, to the one who works, his wages are counted, are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Now, let's stop for a second. We're talking about works cannot get you righteousness. Faith gets you righteousness. And now we're going to quote a psalm, Psalm 32, David's psalm. 
And here, instead of talking about how works, how righteousness is counted for you, he talks about how sin is removed from you. Now, for those of you who've been around for a while, if you see the word justified, that's there in verse 2, you're going, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so we're talking about counted righteousness. Now we're talking about the removal of sin, right? So you're tracking with me. Let me maybe just make sure we're tracking. What is the definition of justification? Because as we're talking about, first you are forgiven, and then clothed in righteousness. That's exactly what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening. So he's been talking about how you are clothed in righteousness, how you are counted righteous. And then in verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. They're forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So you and I need something not counted against us, our sin. And then we need something counted to us, which is righteousness. I need sin removed. I need righteousness applied. And he says here that cannot happen with works. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough service in the community. You can't love your neighbor enough. You can't serve enough to be righteous. God is not saying, I'm going to add up all your good works and then all your bad works, and we're going to subtract them, and as long as you've got more good than bad, you're in. It's not how God rolls. And I'm glad it is, because I have a feeling I might be out of bounds (laughs) the wrong way. So he's saying his works can't do it. It's only by faith that God counts you righteous. And now he moves on in verse 9 to circumcision. This, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For, as, for, for we say that, here we go, faith was counted to Abram as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? We're reading Genesis together. We're in chapter 15. Has Abram been circumcised yet? No. So it happened before he was circumcised. He is, account, he is credited righteousness. And that's what he says. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe Sorry. without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Who's the them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We's. Us's. <laughs> I am. And to make the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see, we are walking in the footsteps of Abraham. We're justified by faith. You cannot be justified by being circumcised. We could translate that for our day by being religious. I go to church. I give money. I read my Bible. I serve people. He's saying, no, you, you, those things will never make you righteous. It's only by faith. Verse 13. Now we're going to transition to the law. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, of the God to whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We just stop there. The point is law. You cannot obey the law enough to be counted righteous. That's his point. You can't. So he's, he's trying to cover all of his bases here. Be creative for a moment. Think of all the ways that you think you impress God so that he goes, wow, you're righteous now. That's in here. It doesn't do anything for your righteousness. It doesn't. Your righteousness comes by faith. Jump down to 19. This Back to our story, really, in Genesis. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, just in case you're wondering, why is that such a big deal? Verse 23, transitions with the word but to 24. So let's read it together. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours alone. Also, ha, that's cool. So you're in Genesis and you're reading, you're going, ah, eh, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. It's not just about him. It's about us. It's about you. God does this in Abram's life to begin a pattern. I'm only going to justify people. I'm only going to declare people righteous by faith. You will never be good enough. It's almost like Abram is the forerunner for us, and we follow in his footsteps, and we say, Abram was counted righteous because he believed in amen God, and now I follow in Abram's footsteps, and I do the same thing. I don't worry about the law. I don't worry about more good works, being circumcised, religiosity, whatever it is. No, I follow Abraham's path, and I say I can only be right before God through faith in Jesus' promise. And that's what he turns the corner right here. Now, now he brings up Jesus. I've been waiting. <laughs> I was reading, I'm like, this is really good and stuff, but where's Jesus? And, he, and he, it's almost like Paul, divine by the Spirit, is leading us through this whole Old Testament pathway. And then he gets to this last verse and he says, I will, it will be counted to us, verse 24, us also. It will be counted to us. It will be counted to you this morning who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up 
for our trespasses, for the forgiveness of sins, and raised for our justification. I mean, this is just... Fill your heart with this this morning, church. (laughs) I mean, come on. Abram, the story in Genesis is just a launching pad that, that lands here with Jesus where we put our faith in him and now we understand how Abram could be counted righteous when Abram had no righteousness of his own. Where did the righteousness come from? It came from Jesus. And so how can I preach this message without, and I knew, I knew we'd have kids in here, so I thought, you know what, you got to do it. So we're going to do it. So we know justification and what it is, right? We understand justification. So let's talk about it. Jesus is completely, Tyler told someone, holy. He's supremely unique, set apart, one of a kind, limited edition, He has no sin of omission or no sin of commission. Everything that God demands for us to do, Jesus does. Everything God says you cannot do and should not do, Jesus does not do. So he is clothed in righteousness perfectly. He has everything that you and I need, but we don't have because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because you and I have inherited sin at our birth, and then we practice sin Day in and day out. Sins of omission and sins of commission. We're told to be thankful in all circumstances. That's why I'm wearing black. Because I don't do that. Pray in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Fail, fail. And you guys know the list of things. The the put-ons we don't do, the put-offs we do. all, All the mess of our lives that we were born with and that we practice all the time. So it's said in chapter 4 that because of this we are now objects of wrath. But it said, wrath is coming down. So we are in deep trouble. Wrath is coming. And so what does God do for us? 2 Corinthians 5.12, 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So Jesus on the cross takes all of our sin and puts it on himself. And in that moment, the wrath of God now comes down on Christ, diverted from you, It is now shifted to Christ as the perfect sacrifice because he is still perfectly pure, but he's bearing your sin and mine. So he's the perfect lamb, spotless, yet wearing our sin, bearing our sin. And so he takes the wrath of God that we deserved. And so now you are forgiven. This is why he quoted that verse that David did in Psalm 32. Your sins will be forgiven. He's forgiven. But we know that's not good enough. Because here we stand morally neutral. I don't have any bad, but I don't have the good I need. God demands righteousness. That means not just the absence of my sin, but I need all the good stuff that God requires and demands from me if I'm going to stand before him without fearing his judgment. So what does Jesus do? This is, this is, the, this is the puzzle of Abraham. How can God... Count it to Abram as righteousness. Well, here's how. Because through faith in what Jesus did, we not only have our sin removed, but you and I are counted righteous. So now when the Father looks down on you, he sees the righteousness of Christ on you. Something Abraham didn't know. I love it that Jesus says that he he saw the day 
when this would happen. So Abram had like a fuzzy view of something was going to happen. You know, that if, Abram's thinking, how am I righteous before God when I have no righteousness? How does God do that when I'm a sinner? This is how he does it. He imputes your sin or counts your sin to Christ, and then he imputes or counts Christ's righteousness to you. You can't be any more righteous than Jesus. Therefore, I can say to you with confidence that you are no more righteous right now than you were last year, and you can't and won't be any more righteous in the next year than you are right now. Because you're clothed in Christ. And he did it all. So when Abram amens and it's counted to him as righteousness, he doesn't know all of this in detail. But we do. And so when you hear this, I trust, whether it's with your lips or in your heart, you hear this and you go, amen. Because you're believing God. And when you believe God for this, he counts it to you as righteousness. Not how well you behave when you leave today or next week. Not the things you do or don't do next month. You're already counted 100% righteous because you're clothed in Christ. Does Romans 4 get any better? Like, I know we don't pick verses and places out of my favorites because that happens too often, but come on. I mean, this is there. Circumcision can't do this. Law can't do this. Work can't do this. Nothing can do this other than God counting you righteous when you amen what Jesus did in his death and in his resurrection. Amen? Amen. I love it that we live, in the time we live, that we don't just have Genesis 15, but we have Romans 4. That we stand on this side of the cross and we can see what God is doing. Because what God is doing is God is orchestrating everything in your life so that you will know God the way God wants you to know God, so that you'll give him the amen. In this case, God wants you to know God as the God who can impute righteousness, count you as righteous even when you're not. And he wants you to know that about him, so you'll give him the amen. Amen? Amen. 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 I want to sing a song. I want to sing an amen song. Let's stand up together.